Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Lost, I guess, of serving the Lord. Um, I'm glad the Giants won. I'm sorry if you're a Patriots fan. And every time I go away, I just think about how much I love our church, and it feels so good to be back here with you guys. So I'm excited. I'm going to be wrapping up our little mini-series called Reaching Up that explores the importance and the central nature of our relationship with God. The first relationship we are responsible for as people of God is that of reaching up to the God who loves us and saves us. And we're going to wrap that up. The last couple messages on this series have dealt with the the, the subject of loving God with everything that we have and of worshiping God by serving Him. And those are great messages, I think, things we need to hear as Christians. But those are messages that are a lot easier to hear when stuff is going well. Isn't that true? When the stuff hits the fan and everything is falling apart, it's not always that easy to think about how much you love God and how much you will serve God. On days like those, all you can think about is barely hanging on and staying above water. You know what that feels like? I just How many of you guys have actually had bad days? I mean... Can you give me some feedback? Am I the only one who's had tough days? Or it's like sometimes all you can concentrate on is staying above water and just keep breathing one day after the other. Life gets really, really tough. And so on days like that, it's important to know that we are still called to reach up to God. But perhaps in those days, not only in love and in service, but we reach up to God in the middle of the storms of our lives because He is the only one who can help us. And there's a sense in which we are called to reach up to God because there's nobody else who can actually come to the rescue. When storms hit our lives, it's really tempting to just give up in despair. It's really tempting to say that somehow it's God's fault, somehow I'm angry at the whole world, somehow I just want to fold my arms and say, forget all of this, and life is terrible, and I wish I could just die, and you just want to give up. And it's not, I mean, I, I've been through days like I just, I go, you know what, I quit. I'm done. What's the point of fighting and trying? And on days like that, do you ever just feel like you're just, you know what I'm talking about? You just want to scream at the universe and it goes, forget it. The game is finished for me. And it is precisely on days like that when you are most tempted to give up and even give up on God that He calls you to reach up for Him because those are the days when you absolutely most need to reach up for God. I want to ask you to to either look on the screen or if you have your Bible in front of you, turn to Luke chapter 8. The title of the message, if you're taking notes, is Reaching for God in the Storm. I don't know how many of you guys memorize everything you hear, but if you want to remember some of this stuff, it's a good idea once in a while to jot Something down that's memorable. Get that pen moving. If for no other reason, then just fake like you're paying attention, so I'm encouraged. But, you know, you know, take some notes. It might actually come in handy someday. It's a really familiar story. It comes out of Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version. Um, I guess the screen is out. Is that right? Okay, well, just follow along with me, then you can listen if it's not on there. Oh, oh. You'll reject it. I don't have my screen up. Let let me read for you. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, 
Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and they set, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? It's the word of God. I want to give you something like a running commentary on this passage. And I want to point out some things that we absolutely need to learn about how life is supposed to work in the storms and what storms are like. And the first observation I want to make is that storms can hit us at any time. Take a look at verse 22. Storms can hit us at any time. I love the way Luke begins this passage with those two simple words, one day, so ordinary, so harmless, A day like any other day. He doesn't say, on the day of the great meteorological cataclysm, they got in a boat. He just says, one day. As if he's just saying, like like it was like yesterday, it's going to be like tomorrow, just another day. And that's sometimes the way storms hit us. Isn't that true? I wish we could always see the dark clouds gathering. I wish there was always a fair warning before all the stuff really came down on us. But a lot of the time, you're just sitting there minding your own business, and bam, out of left field, life falls apart. Has that ever happened to you? Where things seem like they were going great, and all of a sudden, someone sweeps the rug out from under your feet. And you get news, or something happens that is so unexpected, so undeserved, or so we say, right? And it just, it's something so bad and so sudden, and it, it just knocks the wind out of you, because you weren't ready. I mean, most guys, if you steal your stomach and you say to your buddy, come on, go ahead and punch me. Just give me a good punch in the stomach. Most guys who aren't total girly men, you know, panty waist, you can take a, a punch, at least one, right? Isn't that true? Guys, raise your, can you take one punch if you're ready? That's right. Panty waists need not apply here. Okay, so you can take one punch, but what happens to you if somebody sucker punches you and you're not ready? If you're not ready, even a little air, eh, a little kind of sissy punch, if you're not ready, it'll kind of knock the wind out of you. And that's the way it feels when you're not looking, you're not ready, and the storms of life fall upon you. You know, in the nautical world, there's a kind of storm known as a white squall. There's also a movie by that title. Maybe that's how some of you might know about it. It's a kind of storm that even an experienced sailor cannot see coming. The only telltale warning of a white squall is that you get a little white-capped water and the waves are a little broken and you're kind of looking and go, oh, that's weird. Why is the water turning a little white? And then all of a sudden, boom, the storm is on top of you. And a white squall is a fierce, fierce windstorm that usually will capsize a boat. They're very, very common on large lakes like the Great Lakes in North America. And chances are that exactly this kind of storm hit Jesus and his disciples that day on the Sea of Galilee. And this storm, without any warning, suddenly hits. And why am I, why am I drumming that, that, that point? Because that's the nature of the storms of life so many times. You're not ready, and so that's why you need a plan in advance. You know, a lot of us, we try to figure out what we're going to do after the crisis hits. And the truth is, that's too late to do the right things most of the time. 
You know how you guys roll your eyes at work when they do a fire drill or an evacuation drill and you, you just go, you walk out and you follow like a little good hamster and you go out there and you know, everywhere in your office you probably have posted an evacuation map that says you are here and this is the nearest exit. Most of us, when we get on a plane, do you ever pay attention to the flight attendant who's going to the safety demonstration? They're like, would you please put down your reading materials? And I look around and everybody, including me, we're just like, whatever. We're just paying attention to something else. There's that safety card in the seat pocket in front of you. You're supposed to look at it because it actually has some important stuff that you may not know. I ignore it all the time, but recently on my flight back from Rochester, I was in a little, little plane. I was one of these where I was in a row by myself, just one seat against the window. And I thought, maybe I should just look at this stupid thing after all. And I looked at it and I said, I don't know any of this stuff. I should pay attention. Because if the plane crashes, that's not the time to be going, crud, where is that thing? And where is the nearest exit? And what was she saying about the slides and the door handles? Some of you don't have a plan for the storms of life. And as a result, when they hit out of the blue, you're going to freak out and collapse. Sadly, I've been there with some of you when that freaking out and collapsing was going on. And that's why I'm telling you, while things are calm, you've got to make up your mind what you're going to do when life gets really, really bad. Do you have a plan for the storms of life? Here's another thing I notice in this text about the storms of life. Storms can hit you even when you're being good. Now listen, if you're paying attention to people when they talk, and if you're really honest with yourself, even we Christians believe in something like karma, don't we? Let's just be honest about it. You know what karma is, right? There's some faceless, nameless, cosmic balance, a scale of justice, where if you do good stuff, good stuff is supposed to happen for you. You've got this little bank of good fortune, and the more you stack up good deeds, the more you withdraw on that balance of goodness. That's the way karma works in a Hindu mindset. And for a lot of Christians, believe it or not, that is really the way we think God works too. A kind of biblical karma in the world. And that explains why sometimes we work so hard to do what is good, because we believe the more good we do, God will reward us with even more good fortune here. And maybe that's true, there are rewards, but there's another side of that that says, the more good we do, the less bad will befall us. And I'm here to tell you that yes, it's true, sometimes godly living can offset some tragedy in your life. For example, if you work hard, if you're diligent and honest, you decrease your chances of getting fired. Amen? I mean, that's just the way it is. But that doesn't matter. You can can do all the right things and decrease some of the likelihood of the storms, but you can't eliminate the storms altogether. And the Bible makes no such promises to us that the more good we do, the fewer storms will hit our lives. I want to pull out the passenger manifest on this little boat for a second. Let's talk about who is riding this boat on the Sea of Galilee. Let me see. Passenger number one, seat one, row one. Uh, the Son of God. The other 12 seats behind him are occupied by 12 men who left everything they knew to follow the Son of God with ultimate devotion and commitment. And they were chartering this boat for what purpose? To cross to the other side of the lake because on the other shore were more people who needed the love of God. So I'm asking you, if karma was how the the universe worked, should there ever have been a more safe ocean-going vessel in all the world? The Son of God, His posse of twelve, on a mission for the Lord. And it is this very boat that nearly capsizes in the storm. 
And why am I saying that? Because some of us get so angry, so disappointed, feel so betrayed when the storms of life hit. And the reason we're so disappointed is because we think we operate on karma. We say, hey, I don't get it. I was being such a good boy. I was being such a good girl. Why does this happen to me? Here's how I know that's, that's true. Because so often when the storms hit, we start retreating into the language of fairness. And we say things like, this is unfair. This shouldn't happen to me. It should happen to other people who are doing less stuff for God, but it shouldn't happen to me. And I'm here to tell you that's not true at all. And there's nothing in the Bible that promises you that if you worship God and you're faithful to Him, bad stuff can't and won't happen to you. Quite the opposite. Jesus says at the end of the book of John, He just, look, here's it, here it is. In this world, you guys, my followers, you're gonna have trouble. And that word trouble is, it's like real trouble. You're gonna have some very bad days ahead of you. But He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. So there's no promise that life is meant to be carefree, but that life is meant to be accompanied by somebody who is greater than any trouble that can befall you. That's the great lesson here. Sometimes, even when you're doing everything right, storms will hit your life. Don't waste your energy or your time trying to figure out if it's fair or not, because that's the wrong question to be asking. Do you see that? We need to rid ourselves of this idea of God karma. And we have to get rid of that altogether and say, no, whether you're good or bad, life in a fallen world, a world whose very elements in nature are corrupted by sin, a world filled with sinful people just like me and you, not just me, you too. This world is filled with people who are just like you. Is there any more frightening concept than that? You've got to be monstrously arrogant if that's good news to you, all right? This world is filled with people just like you and me. And that's why there will be trouble in this world. I wish we didn't need police officers and and locks on the doors and things. I'm, I'm sorry if you're a police officer. We love you. But I wish people would just obey the laws and we could be safe without your protection. So you could become an oil painter or something. But the world's not like that. And no matter how good you are, you still live in this fallen world, and storms will come. The question is not if, it's when. A third thing we see here is, storms remind us of our limitations. You know, most of the guys on this boat were very, very comfortable at sea. These are guys who made their living on boats. They knew about water. They knew about storms. They knew about this particular large, it's really a large lake. They call it the Sea of Galilee, but it's about the size of one of our great lakes. And so they knew this body of water backwards and forwards. Imagine then how incredible a storm this must have been to get these guys, these seasoned sailors, to panic for their lives. You know, one thing we're reminded is no matter how hard we try to offset the storms in our lives, eventually a storm will come that will prove to you you can't control everything. You can't prevent everything. 
If you believe, for example, that you're healthy and alive only because you watch what you eat and you work out, well, let me tell you, you're healthy because of that, but not only because of that. If you think you're safe only because you fasten your seatbelt, one day a vehicle may strike you where it renders your seatbelt irrelevant. A seatbelt versus a semi-truck doesn't make any difference, does it? What I'm trying to say is we are safe and well because of a lot of things we do, but not only because of the measures we take. Ultimately, we are safe because God is watching over us. And storms in our lives prove to us that at some point you have reached the limit of what you can control and do for yourself. There are many people who try to prevent every possible calamity by storing up security for themselves. And you can get pretty far trying to live life that way. But at the end of the day, for so many people, they get, a, they get the bad news. They come into work one day and they say, you know what? Things are not looking good. The numbers this quarter were terrible. We're going to start letting some people go. And I'm sorry to tell you this, but you're on the list. And you guys know what list I'm talking about. I spent a few years in corporate America. The list is an ugly thing. It means your neck could be on the chopping block. Sometimes you'll get a phone call in the middle of the night. And the words coming on from the other end of that phone line are bringing terrible news. News that takes your breath away. News that makes you feel like you've been punched in the stomach. Sometimes you'll be sitting in an open back gown on an examining table in a doctor's office. And he'll come back with a clipboard and he won't be smiling. And he'll look at you and he'll say to you, I'm sorry, but I have very bad news. And I know you ate your celery and you jogged six miles a day, but you're going to die. Storms remind us that at some point we are so finite that we can't always help ourselves. And they remind us that there is someone who actually can help. That's what these men learned. It says that they as a group went to awaken Jesus. And reading between the lines, it suggests to me that these seasoned sailors looked around and said, hey, this looks bad. And I'm sure Andrew turned to Peter and said, have you seen something like this before? Oh, man, way back about six years ago. But this is worse than even that storm. And as the boat started taking on water, these guys knew what it means when your boat starts filling up. And they, could, they reached out to one another, but eventually they reached the point where they said, what can you and I do to save our, uh, each other? We can't. It's us against the elements, and the elements look like they're going to win. And so they gave up. They waved the white flag, and they went to awaken Jesus. I wonder if they went to awaken Jesus because they knew he could help, or that they just wanted him to be awake when they all died. You know what I'm talking about? But it's clear that they realized this storm was going to get them. It was bigger than all of them, and there's no place to go. I see a fourth thing here about storms of life. I think the storms can turn us into false prophets. Here's what I mean by that. Take a look at verse 24. And they went and woke him, saying, listen to this, Master, Master, we are perishing. In the NIV and in some other translations, it says, Master, Master, we are going to drown. 
I read those words, you know what I see? I don't see panic, I don't see a plea, I see a prediction. These men are not trying to say, do something, they're trying to say, look, this is what is happening now. We can see the future and this is how it's going to end for us. Hey, listen, when things get bad, I know most of us have enough life experience to say, if present trends continue, we are on a very bad trajectory. This story is not going to have a happy ending. We have enough life experience to at least panic and say to God, it looks like this is how it's going to end. But the minute we say it looks like and we go to declaring this is how it is, I hear that so often people in a bad situation, they make these very dramatic declarations. That's it. This is the end of the road. That's it. I'm never going to get another job. That's it. She's going to leave me. That's it. That's it. That's it. And they make all these prophetic predictions about how this story will end. That's exactly what these guys are doing. They look at the storm, they look at the boat, they look at the water level, and they tell Jesus what's going to happen. Anytime we cross over from panic into prediction, we are now stepping on God's toes. Because here's the way it works. We don't tell God how it's going to end. God tells us how it's going to end. Do you understand how important that distinction is? It is not our job to tell God what's going to happen. It is God's place to tell us what is going to happen. I love what Job says in his frustrated testimony in Job 14.5. Let me read it for you out of the New Living Translation because I think this is a great wording. Job says to God, You have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live and we are not given a minute longer. But you know, the other side of that statement is that we're not given a minute less either. It was told to me this way when I was a teenager and it stuck with me all my life. You are immortal until God calls you home. Nothing can kill you until God decides to cut the cord, to pull the plug, so to speak. In other words, your days are not numbered by the situations you find yourself in, but your days are numbered by God. And I know that some days you'll find yourself in a boat in a storm and it will look for all appearances like this is it. This is your last chapter. Your life is on the edge. You're panicking and you're saying to God, goodbye, cruel world. It is over now. And God says, don't you dare tell me how it's going to end. When you find yourself in a storm, you don't declare the ending, but you go to God in humility. and You say, God, how is this going to end? Will you save me? Because I believe you are the one who writes the ending to every story. And I will not tell you my prediction. I will come to you with my plea. I'll give you my honest observations. But in the end, I trust you and I depend on you to save me even from this. Has it been the case in your life that a storm hit and all of a sudden you became a false prophet? And you began predicting and declaring how this story will finish? Don't do that. Don't do that, because it is God's place to write the last page. Let me give you a fifth. I'm I'm doing amazing. I'm giving you a six-point sermon today. I'm going to end early. The Lord is working. A fifth observation I see here is that storms are meant to drive us to God. See, if I end with that last point, I say, look, Storms show you that you stink and you're limited and you're human and you're tiny. You're a twerp. 
You're a, a zit on the face of an ant, on the face of a log, on the face of a planet in a vast universe. You're nothing. If all I said was that, boy, what a depressing sermon. It's true that we amount to nothing in the face of a huge universe. But the great news is, in the storms of life, we are driven, practically herded, stampeded toward a God who actually can help us. You know, the disciples did the right thing. And they turn to Jesus eventually. You hear a lot of stories in wartime about soldiers stuck in a foxhole. Bombs blowing up all over the place. Have you ever been in a 4th of July celebration where the fireworks are going off? You know the really loud ones? Just noisemakers? I love those. They just boom, 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 boom. I love that. And I sometimes close my eyes and imagine, how would I do in war? Would I freak out if those are bombs exploding around me and stuff? I think... I'd seriously wet myself. I think I'd have a very hard time keeping my composure in a foxhole. And so it says a lot of soldiers, when they find themselves in that situation, it looks like the game is up. They reach out to God in desperation. It is a last minute reaching up for air. And I think that's the right thing to do when we're desperate. The problem is most of us, there's a tendency not to reach up first to God, to reach out to something else. I don't know how you cope with trouble in life. Everybody's got their way. Some of you have a number on speed dial and out of habit. Before you do anything else, you call that person. For some of you, I'm that person. Thank you, Jesus. You know, and it's as if you think something's going to save you other than God. That's your coping mechanism. You call that phone. Hey, here it is. Save me. This is what's going on in my life. What should I do? And we're reaching out to someone. Maybe you self-medicate. Maybe for you, you drink alcohol. You take out a syringe. You watch pornography. You go to see a movie. You eat a steak. You, you fly a kite. I don't know what you do. Maybe you wash your dog. Who knows what you do. But people have a coping mechanism. Something they retreat into because life has become too big for them and it's kicking their butt and they need to do something to soothe themselves and there are things that we do out of habit. But let me ask you to seriously re-examine that coping mechanism. Because I want you to know something about those things we turn to. At the end of the day, the best they can do is commiserate, medicate, and numb you. But none of those things has any power to deliver you. We reach out instinctively to so many other things. But there's only one place where we'll find our help. Honestly, what can that person on the other end of the phone do about your life? Be real. It's not, I'm not saying it's wrong to, to reach out and share your burdens with the community. But it's wrong to reach out to another person and ask them to save you. That's not anybody else's job. It is the job of God alone. And you can call your friends, but call them second. Hit the floor, get on your knees, and reach up to God first in the storm. Listen to what Psalm 121 says. I think they can flash that up on the screen. I really love this psalm. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. 
The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. I love what happens in our story in Luke 8. Jesus wakes up. And how many of you guys are coherent when you wake up? Right? I mean, he's like, what? What? And he wakes up and the storm is raging and his, his disciples are freaking out, yelling stuff. He just goes to everybody, shut up! That's rebuke, okay? But the first one he tells to shut up is the wind. He's like, wind, see, shut up already. I can't hear anything these guys are screaming. And he, he screams that and guess what happens? The storm stops and the world becomes quiet. That's pretty amazing. And then he looks at his disciples, and I'm sure it's not recorded in text, but I'm sure he said, shut up. And then the next recorded words are, where is your faith? He's on a little rebuking spree here. He rebukes the elements, then he rebukes them. What that teaches me is that it's not just enough to go to Jesus as some kind of break here and break glass in case of an emergency. It's not just some mechanical going to God. I'm in trouble, I guess I should pray. It is that when you go to God, there must be faith. And in a time of crisis, here's how I would define faith. Faith is a confidence that you're actually talking to someone who can help you. Guys, how would you feel if you took a girl out on a date for the first time, and every place you went, she's like, I'll just have the water. I'll just have a side salad. And you go, what's the deal? You're not hungry? No, I just don't think you can afford this meal. <laughs> After all, wouldn't you be like, excuse me, girl, order whatever you want. Get the lobster, get two of them. I got it like that, right? You, you'd be upset. You'd be offended because her cautiousness is a direct reflection on how big and how powerful she thinks you are. I've used the illustration before. Some tough guys come up and start harassing you and your wife, and your wife goes, Honey, go and get help. <laughs> That's a pretty good, accurate measurement of what she thinks about you, right? Go and get help. It'd be even worse if she goes, Stand behind me. <laughs> Do you think God doesn't take it personally? When we turn to Him, but somewhere in the secret part of our hearts, we don't actually expect any results. We don't believe God's going to or even can do anything about it. We just pray mechanically because some pastor somewhere told us that's what we should do. You know, the truth is, faith matters when we're reaching to God in the storm. What I see is the disciples in a panic saying to Jesus, Wake up! Don't you see what's happening? And Jesus shakes them back and says, Don't you know who you're with? We look at what's happening. We're so drowning in our circumstances. And Jesus responds back to us, Do you have any idea who is standing with you? When you're praying, describing the storm to me, do you know who it is you're praying to? Where is this panic coming from when you're talking to the one who commands even the waves and the wind? You know, Mark records a great story for us about a man who was in one of the crowds Jesus was preaching to. He had a son who was demon-possessed. And demons are foul creatures, you know what I mean? They don't just possess you, they want to do harm to you and to the people around you. So this demon stole his voice. This demon constantly tried to get this boy to hurt himself and eventually end his own life. And the father was desperate and he said, Jesus, 
And here's the story as it unfolds. He says to to Jesus, your disciples tried to cast the demon out and they couldn't. They failed. And we pick up in Mark 9. Listen to this. Jesus said to them, you faithless people. How long must I be with you until you believe? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. And he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was very small, the spirit often makes him fall into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us. So far, so good. But listen, then the father ends, do something if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly replied, I do believe, but help me not to doubt. Isn't that awesome? I think that may be the very place where some of us are right now. We know well enough to turn to Jesus. We know well enough to mouth the prayers we've been taught. Somewhere in our hearts is a parenthesis that says, Help me, Jesus! Do something if you can. And you can tell clearly from the language, Jesus takes that kind of stuff personally. You can hear the record scratching to a halt and Jesus says, hold on. What do you mean, if I can? Anything is possible for the person who believes. And what I love most about this story is the Father's response. I do believe, but please help me not to doubt. I think that needs to be the prayer on your lips and my lips in the middle of our storms. And let me give you a last observation. We'll wrap things up. I think this is perhaps the tidy, good American ending. It's the happy ending. I'm glad it's happy. Storms end at God's command. I'm really glad that they do. Because frankly, some storms are pretty hard to take. And they sometimes last until the last possible moment when you think it's going to break you. And this story records for us that Jesus, with a single word of rebuke, ended the storm just like that. The storm that these seasoned sailors were so certain would kill them came to an end with one word, a shout from the mouth of God. I think the reason that our prayers are sometimes faithless is because life and bad thinking and bad theology are shrinking God in our hearts. And maybe we start to believe, per Joan Osborne, that God is really just a slob like one of us. We pray to God the same way that we talk to our friend at Starbucks. I think I'm about to lose my job. It really sucks. I don't know what I'm going to do. Would you just kind of pray for me that I'll get another job? And you say it, but you kind of say it perfunctorily. You know, like, would you just pray for me that I'll get another job? But in your heart, there's nothing booing your spirits. There's just despair, surrender, acceptance. And God says, listen, when you pray to me, 
Don't pray like that. Storms end at my command. I am the only one who has authority to bring calm and peace back to your life. Don't think for a moment that your shiny resume or your world-class physician will deliver you in the end. Storms end at my command and mine alone. So come to me understanding that I'm a big God. This storm had at least one great purpose in the disciples' lives. And it's recorded for us here when it says they were afraid and they marveled saying to each other, who the heck is this guy? That's the Pastor Dave version, the PDV. Who the heck is this guy? We thought we knew him. He did a pretty cool trick, turning a bunch of water into wine. And we all know that he can really hold your attention when he's talking. He's a good speaker. It's one thing to be a good speaker. It's another thing when your good friend turns to a storm and goes, Shut up! And the storm shuts up. You suddenly take another look. There's this great Korean phrase that strictly translated, it reads, I have to take another look at you. I have to look at you a second time. What it's saying is, I thought I knew you. And then this happened, and I'm looking at you with brand new eyes. That's exactly what happened for these disciples. They went through this terrible storm, and Jesus, boom, like that, and they go, whoa. And God became a little bit bigger in their hearts. I'm going to tell you right now, some of you are in the middle of a storm. Others, I know this. There's a storm brewing on the horizon. You know what I'm talking about? There's been some rumblings at work. You've got a thing growing on your shoulder that doesn't look good. And you feel the tension mounting. Something's not right. Storm is going to hit. And it's so important you remember that the Jesus you think you know, that you're comfortable with, that you've managed and encased in a very small package, is a much greater God than you could possibly imagine. And sometimes the storms are permitted in your life Precisely so that you and I will learn never to underestimate God, but that he would become greater and greater and greater in our eyes. I rejoiced when each four of my children were born whole. First thing I did, one head, two eyes, two ears, ten fingers, ten toes. It's the first thing any parent looks at, let's face it. Well, you first look at, if you don't know the gender, you look in the nether regions. And then you count all the other parts. You say, thank you, God. You have been faithful. The baby is whole. But there's a whole different kind of view of God you get when your baby is deathly ill, running a 108 fever. The doctors are kind of going, we need more tests. And you're fretting. And at that moment, as God brings you through that, well, your view of God will most definitely change. So don't try so hard to storm-proof your life by dodging the storms. They're going to come. And when they do come, don't waste any energy arguing with God about its unfairness. Don't go to God without faith. Have a plan in place. Know that this God is bigger than every storm that will hit your life. And if you trust him, he will bring you to the other side of that storm. And looking back, you will see just how great your God is. Amen.
I wonder if I can invite you now, just bow your heads. We've got a little time for response. I'd like us to respond to God together. It's important to know that we're not worshiping alone in this room, but we have people who love us in this room together with us. And so I'm going to ask you, with everybody, just kind of do this. And it's going to be a step of faith, maybe a little uncomfortable. But if right now you are going through a storm in your life, you don't have to give any details, you don't have to say a word to anybody, but if you're finding yourself on a boat in a storm in your life, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand because then I'm going to invite the people around you to just come and get near you. Even lay a loving hand on your shoulder or on your back. And we're going to pray for you because sometimes it's hard to be alone in a storm. And so if that describes you, you're in a storm or you see the clouds gathering on the horizon and that storm is coming soon, would you please raise your hand in humility and faith? And ask the Lord to surround you with his people and bring comfort. Would you do that right now? If you see someone near you who's holding up their hand, would you just, if you're near them, move out of your seat, get around them, and let's just pray for them for just a couple minutes. Can we do that? And be bold. Free prayer is the greatest gift you can receive. Raise your hand if you're in a storm. Would you do that? All right, let's move around and let's surround those people who have raised their hands. If you're not near someone, just go ahead and and pray where you are. Okay, let's pray. I'd like some of us just to be praying now the prayer of that father whose son was demon-possessed. He cried out in desperation to Jesus, I believe, but please help me not to doubt. Maybe you doubt, and that's where your struggle is today. Let's just ask God to get rid of that doubt. Sometimes we can get insecure and wonder if somebody loves us, but you just stare into their face as they speak the words, I love you. And somehow in that moment of asking and listening and watching, security, certainty is given. That's what we're asking God to do. I know you doubt, but look at him and ask him to take away the doubt that plagues your heart. I believe he wants to do that right now. Let's pray about that. Lord, we believe you when you told us that in this life we would have trouble. And some of us are in that trouble even right now as we're listening to these words. And Lord, we're sure that that storm on that boat on that day must have been terrifying. How much scarier would it have been if you were not curled up asleep in that boat with them? And God, the storms are coming, but we're so thankful that when the storms strike, you are near That we don't just cry out to the sky as if clouds can deliver us. But we cry out to God who is close. And who is loving. And who alone has real power 
to come and save us. Forgive us for putting our trust in any other person or any other thing. Our trust belongs in you. And so we pray together that we believe, but please help us not to doubt. And I pray in the love and in the name of Jesus Christ that for every person in our congregation and for those we love who are facing storms today or see the clouds gathering on the horizon, that you will be our refuge, our safe harbor. Bring us through to the other side. We trust you for that. And I know in faith that you will deliver You are a good God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And we rise to our feet together, and let's finish the final song of praise. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.